Hey, welcome to the 105th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. Today we've got Kelly Landry on the show. She started as a performer and then quickly segued into writing and then very soon thereafter directing. She's got a ton of great experience kind of hiring directors and also being one herself. She's got a few series under her belt and a new one in the works. So uh, she's got a lot of great insight. We answer some listener questions as well. It's another great episode. Yeah, it's really exciting to hear her talk about how she worked with a brand. She did a series for AT&T and Full Screen, which is a company she worked at, and what she learned from having to become a director very last minute after the original director had to dip out of the job. It, it was a real trial by fire, and she's got a lot of great lessons, and I can't wait for her to impart them on you. But before we do that... Oren, I'm dying to know, what have you been working on lately? Well, I wanted to just touch real quick on three things that have happened over the past week. Number one is for the first time ever, I worked for Matt. Oh, that's true. (laughs) That's, we should definitely be talking about that. So Oren did me a solid, uh, I don't know if listeners have heard or not, but Oren bought a drone. I did. And very quickly, you're paying it off right? Yeah, I think it's... You're probably in the red by now, or in the black, I mean. So uh, I needed somebody to come in and just kind of take the drone operating off of our DP's hands, and uh, I promised you a real cool, real fun shoot, and then um, instead (laughs) you were drenched in the rain and didn't get to do any of the fun stuff that we were planning on doing for a whole day. Yeah. just kind of in the mud. Well, let me tell you. So I've done a couple of drone gigs. With drone gigs, the deal usually is like, hey, we want some drone shots of this golf thing or this car establishing shot. Like you're not droning all day usually. So they're like, yeah, we're shooting in Malibu. Come for two hours. Come at noon, have lunch. Then we'll do some drone shots and we'll get some B-roll and hang out for like one to four hours. And I think most drone operators, that's the deal. And uh, Matt tried to hire me to shoot some stuff at the beach a few Uh weeks ago. And that was the deal. It's like we're shooting in Malibu or yeah, wherever, Santa Monica. Yeah, cool car shots and, you know, yeah, it was in yeah. Malibu. Yeah. It's like a 45-minute drive for me, maybe an hour. Um, yeah, get a few cool car shots, come in the middle of the day, and then yeah, you're done a couple hours. Yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. Now, when Matt just texted me out of the blue, like, last week, he's like, hey, uh, you think you could do some drone operating on Wednesday or whatever? And I was like, uh, yeah, I think I can make that work. I looked at my schedule, and I had an opening and he did not give me any details, but that it turns out. <laughs> I, I tried to just, I in these circumstances, and this goes for anybody that I have a personal relationship with, as soon as it's like, oh, you have an opening, I don't count that as a firm commitment in the slightest bit. I'm just like, hey, you should talk to the people in charge of negotiating your rates and all of the liability stuff, all the businessy stuff, go talk to somebody else about it because it would be a weird conflict of interest for me to be negotiating with you in any way, shape, or form. So I'm right, just trying right. to push it all away, basically. So, yeah. So obviously I don't care to discuss the rate and like negotiate of any yeah, of that yeah. stuff with you. But what I didn't know at the time was that I would have to be at Warner Brothers at 6 a.m. in the morning then I would have to pack all my stuff into a van. We'd have to drive for two hours someplace. Uh, and then I would be strapped to a tree for the entire day in the rain. And <laughs> guess what rain cover they, uh, Matt's production team was going to provide for me? Uh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> 
They're like, bring an um-. Matt kept telling me to bring an umbrella. And I said, well, what about my equipment? And you said, hmm, good point. Bring two umbrellas. Uh, and then we were going to come back maybe at 6 p.m. And hopefully I would manage to get home in time to not have to hire a babysitter. <laughs> then the day before the shoot comes and I get the call sheet and I have to be at Warner Brothers at 6 a.m. again. But now we're going to be back at 8 p.m. So now I also have to hire a babysitter. <laughs> so it went from like a pretty cool, fun job to potentially the worst job ever. I mean, pretty high on the list. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, you cannot fly a drone in the rain. So I was... You were there for no good reason. I was very excited right? to yeah. shoot these drone shots. but uh, And that was like the saving grace. Is like, but we are going to get these awesome drone shots. But then it's going to rain. And so we're not going to. That said, I do think we got like a cup. We yeah, we got some cool shots. Getting really cool shots, but it's like you cannot even describe the weather or the conditions. Like we were on the side of a muddy mountain in the rain, like standing for like eight hours, just standing <laughs> in pouring rain and mud. You don't know any of these people either. Like at yeah. least I've like gotten to know the crew and stuff. I had to sit in the back of like a Gator, you know, like yeah, a, yeah. like a quad vehicle, like going. Like pretty much vertically up a hill while trying to hold an umbrella over my drone, which was much more important than me at the time. Um, it was also like 34 degrees, you know. Like yeah, yeah it was really I, cold. I, it was really cold. I mean, it was uh, it was in, un- indescribable how <laughs> what the conditions were. They 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 were so bad that literally an hour, like we got to the top of the mountain, and then Matt and the producer were like, uh we just can't we gotta quit we can't risk our equipment in this weather because there was no rain protection we had trash can't trash bags tied around the cameras and stuff and then we decided in the end to just go go for it anyway because yeah. everyone was already up there though though we um by we i mean matt and the producer we, we, um, we called uh up the chain basically because i was like hey this isn't my call like i'll shoot it but we're gonna ruin these cameras um, right, and they were like what Sony FS7s uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. Or, so there, yeah. a few tens of thousands of dollars yeah, per yeah. camera, and there's three like, cameras. Oh, well, yeah, we lose uh, probably twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Basically, yes, we called up the chain. We ended up shooting it with GoPros instead. Yeah, and we did. I was with the camera crew with like the FS7s, and we did manage to secure a pop-up tent, uh, and we did get a few shots. You know, I was kind of trying to help out the camera team, and we got a few shots, and then. And some of the drone shots we got in the morning, I think, are pretty cool before it started raining. And then at the end, I was like, F it. I'm just going to fly this thing, even though it's kind of sprinkling still. So there's a lot of like raindrops on the drone lens. I kept wondering. I was like, why are you landing this thing a bunch of times? Like, because it was stuff where it was like there were like stunts and, you know, people were it was a lot of coordination. And I was like, why are you? And I was like, oh, you have to literally wipe the lens off. Well, the funny thing about shooting in the rain is that. It's one of the rare places where literally the physical size of your lens makes a big difference because a raindrop on like a big lens, you know, mm-hmm. like a film, like PL mount, like right. ultra prime is, is kind of noticeable. But when your whole lens on like a drone yeah, is like, like the, the size, size of a quarter, yeah. like three drops, like that half your image is unusable. I've looked through that footage and like, yeah, one big drop can ruin a shot. Yeah. yeah. So I was trying to wipe it, but even I didn't have one dry inch on me at that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, anyway. Funny. So funny. lesson learned is ask the details of the job before you accept it. To be fair, though, if it hadn't rained, 
Yes, if it hadn't rained, it would it be awesome. Been, it but the been pretty awesome. Forecast was okay. like a hundred and fifty percent chance of rain. <laughs> <laughs> I told you to bring an umbrella. Yes. Oh man. Uh, oh. Anyway, so that's the first crazy thing. Yeah. Um, second thing is I finally released my reel. Sure. I just put it on Vimeo. I was just done working on it. I kept getting notes. And by the way, Matt sent me notes that were. I think you took all of them, dude. You kept doing this thing. You did. You gave those really annoying notes. I, I sent it to three people. One of them being my wife, yeah. right? And they were all kind of giving me these vague notes, which are like, "It seems a little long," and get rid of the shots that aren't great. Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, well, this is my reel. I, I didn't can barely judge yeah, yeah. this thing yeah. in the first place." And I just kept bugging Matt over and over. And finally, he's like, "Fine, here's a list with time code." And he sent me like twelve notes, and uh, yeah, and I did them all. Yeah. And and I think. The reaction to the reel has been pretty positive it's so far. It's been good. I really am curious to see if it gets you some work. Yeah. Because uh, it's very good and it kind of has inspired me. I was like, oh, yeah, there is like a very clear reason why these things exist. And it's just that, you know, it's hard to stand out. And you did. So I'm I'm really optimistic that it will serve you well. Yeah, I hope so. It's Well, the weird thing is I wasn't really going to post it yet because I was not done with it yet. Even on my website, it was kind of like in a hidden place. But I mentioned it in to a producer we were talking to, and he posted it on Facebook. And I think off that post, Matt Pollock, our guest, saw it because he knows that producer as well. And then he posted it on Facebook. You went Hollywood viral, Oren. And then I was like, oh, man, I guess I should post it. Um the takeaway from that whole experience is that I relied on no one. Obviously I got notes from you and Mm -hmm. a couple other people, but I just had a bunch of footage at home and I was like, I'm going to edit something together. Yes. It's my reel and, and all that. But when you have a couple days off, like you can do something without anyone else. I think it's also worth mentioning that I know it's a bit of a running joke that you're talking about working on your reel these last few episodes, but you did work a long time on it. You had some big revisions between drafts. Like yeah, there, sure. there was a lot of stuff. You tempt a lot of stuff in. Some of it worked. Some of it didn't. And like it would have been easy to scrap the idea, right? Because it, it's a bit of a meta concept of like it's a it's a video essay on the nature of director's reels that also serves as your reel, which is a very clever idea, but that first draft wasn't as obviously wasn't as good as the final draft. And like a person who uh, wasn't as disciplined in terms of revising it or didn't send it to their peers or didn't think about it as much or just didn't take the time probably would have scrapped it. I would have scrapped it probably. I mean, I guess my initial idea was like, I'm going to make a reel and explain why you shouldn't put any of this footage that I'm putting into the reel into a reel. Uh, and so it was like kind of a negative kind of concept. Mm-hmm. And I think the feedback I was getting is like either you're like over like you're downplaying everything, you're over explaining thing or you're just being negative or you're like making fun of your own work. And it's just weird a little yeah, bit. It's not landing. Like yeah. my original thing was like really disparaging, <laughs> like my feature film work. Yeah. And now, I mean, I still have a joke about like that. It's a bad idea for me to mention that this movie is like sure. a lifetime movie, but it's like a little cheekier than like yeah. negative. Yeah. Um, and I think that it took me actually doing it to do that, to, to figure, to figure that out. It out. And the other thing is just because we have this podcast, I just happen to have a microphone connected to my computer at all times. So it was really easy for me. Like I would edit it 
and then there's a lot of voiceover in it. And then while I was editing it, I would just have a list of like 20 things I need to record. Mm-hmm. And I'd re-record them and put them in. And then I'd try it out and I'd just keep keep iterating. I mean, we all know that iterating work is like a great way to make things better. But when you are kind of doing something by yourself, it's easy to keep iterating and tweaking. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing I want to talk about is I'm pitching on this cool commercial campaign right now. And my production company that I'm with wanted me to rehearse the pitch. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we've obviously talked a lot about commercials, but right, you, uh, there's a commercial, they're looking for a director, uh, various companies submit their directors, they end up choosing usually around three directors, right. and each one of those directors makes a treatment, and then they have to present their treatment to the agency on a phone call, on a conference call. Right. The company I'm with wanted me to rehearse that presentation, which was really interesting. I went into their office. I went into their conference room. I called the conference call phone number from the actual conference call phone that we will use. Mm -hmm. And they were all in somebody else's office playing the side of the agency. And they were like, hold on. You know, they just did all the real things. Like, sorry, we're waiting for everyone to gather, you know. Yeah. And that's interesting because it would be easy to be like, okay, well, we'll skip past all of the stuff because inevitably it takes somebody's running a little bit late and that small talk is part of the interview. Right. Yeah. And they ask me questions. They're like, oh, we see you put this picture here. Like, why did you choose that? Like, or this picture, there's an image in the treatment. They're like, this kind of looks period. Is that what you're planning on making this scene kind of feel like old mm-hmm. style? And it was a picture that they had chosen to put in the treatment, <laughs> you know? Uh, they were trying to kind of catch me off guard a little bit. We finished the call. They said, thanks so much or whatever. We hung up and I went into the room with them. So I have like a whole document full of notes of things that they said I could do better on. And I was going to share my three favorite things. And they're like huge. Like they're so good that I feel like if they listen to this podcast episode, they would be like a little upset with me that I'm like revealing the, the secrets. You heard it here first, everybody. But that said, they're all super obvious. Okay, so number one, mm-hmm. I did this thing where, you know, we're looking all looking at the same PDF document. It's like 22 pages or something. So I would go through a page and I'd say, okay, cool. Uh, well, if there's no comments, I'm going to move on to the next page. And then I'd talk about it. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, yeah, so let's go on to the next page. And I was really trying to get through the treatment fast because my biggest fear is that people are going to get bored, right? I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't like an awkward silence. I'm just trying to like fly through the mm-hmm. treatment so people aren't taking, aren't yawning like Matt is right now. And they're like, don't do that. It gets boring when it's just you monologuing and saying like, okay, anyone have any questions? No, let's move on. Oh, interesting. They are engage. like, number yeah. one, engage, engage, engage. Don't go straight into the cover page. Say like, hey, this was really fun. You know, I had a great time working on this. I, I hope you guys like it. Like, do you have any questions before we dive into this? Like, start talking. And then after every single page, like, hey, this is what I think about the location. You guys have any thoughts? What do you guys think about mm-hmm. the presentation? So that's the first thing. Like, engage on every single page. Like, you know, it's not just about me talking at them. It's about me collaborating with them. So number two, I'm showing them this PDF document that they're looking at. But I am talking to them about the text that I wrote, mm-hmm. about like what my what I wrote about locations, what I wrote about casting, what I wrote about performances. But they're just looking at the image. They're not looking at the text. So number two is basically talk about the image that is that they are looking at mm. and say, 
I chose this image because of this. I love the lighting here. I mm-hmm. love the performance. I love the expression. Like, you're hitting I love all the same actor. points, but you're just focusing it through, you're filtering it through the image that they're looking yeah, at. Yeah, through than what the they're paying attention to because otherwise they just right start daydreaming. And number three, which is another obvious one, but they told me what they liked about what I did. And it's whenever I talked about what I wanted to do from a directorial Mm -hmm. point of view. Like I really like it when we have like a lot of background people on the edge of the frame because it makes it feel like the environment is bigger and more alive. Or like, I really like how this, I chose this picture of Ellie Kemper because I think Mm -hmm. if you've ever seen the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, I love the excitement she has from just everyday things, you know, like a cup of coffee can make her be the happy because, you know, it's kind of like shelf or something. Yeah. Like there's, something that just makes her so excited and and that's what i wanted to capture here and they were like more of that and less of like talking about what colors you think you know the wardrobe should be yeah yeah uh so i don't know i thought the nerd tech talk you get into even though that feels like that's part of the job i mean it, it, it all is but like you can't unless you're talking to a craftsperson or a technician people it gets lost on them a little bit yeah so i guess i mean we all know this so well but like practice your pitches and be super open to feedback and i think there are some directors i know that i don't think would have liked the experience that i went through today which is like pitch us your project then we'll tell you everything wrong about your pitch and a lot of it has to do with the way you are socially interacting with other people right Uh, yeah but most of it is that yeah but i love that feedback and i think it makes me better every time i do something like that so yeah anyway Sorry, that was a no, very long description of what I've been working on this past week. Uh, that's great, man. Um, how about you? Uh, you know, I have been in one of those just those weeks of just kind of juggling a bunch of different things. I have been finding myself really craving making time to write. I'm in that situation where like all of the stuff that I had spent time developing and incubating, all that stuff is hitting, but I'm not doing that work right now. You know, it's like... I'm negotiating contracts or I'm talking with other writers or, or shooting or whatever it is, you know, like stuff that's a part of my career and work, work, work. Um, but if I, if I don't put in the time to write, then that the work is going to suffer eventually. Like a, a year or two from now, I'm not going to have anything to sell to anybody basically. Right. And it's been this strange thing of just this nagging feeling of like wanting to get back to that stuff a little bit more. Um, that I haven't felt in a long time, I think because for whatever reason, the things that have piled up have all been more on the producer Oriole side, the, the true creative stuff that I am driven to do, um, has fallen by the wayside a little bit. Okay. But in fairness, you are in the middle of like a 10 week show or something and you happen to have one week off. That's true. Yeah. So there's a lot of like catch up on that stuff as well. It's like cram as many meetings as you can in and all of that stuff. So. But you also have full-time work next week. It's not like you're, it's not like this week's about finding new work. What I'm saying though, is that once this job is over, more jobs are going to come through this year. Um, It's not like I'm worried about the immediate future. I'm saying that the jobs that are paying off now have been in the works for kind of a while, basically. And so if I don't continue to generate, then two years from now like if i have to plant the seeds early so that two years from now i can 
harvest those crops. So before we talk to Kelly Landry, we got a new iTunes review to read out loud. It's a really short one. You guys will love this. It's from Kebab Billionaire. He or she says, directing or video related, listen to these two. Great content every time. Kebab Billionaire, if you would like a Just Shoot It sticker, uh, shoot us an email and uh, we'll, um, with your address and stuff, and we'll send you one. Thanks so much for contributing to the show. It really helps us grow. When you get it, go ahead and post your picture of it, and we'll share that as well. It, we'll see if this sticker thing sticks. Let's uh, get into our chat with Kelly Landry. Hello, Kelly. Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, no, we are super excited to have you on. I don't know how long Matt's known you, but I've known you for like, I feel like 10 years. I've yeah, known you for time. like 10 weeks, probably. Probably, yeah. Oh, you was, just did your project we recently? We just yeah. did a project recently. It, it was my first gig of the year, yeah. So you have like an interesting entry point into directing. You have been a performer for a really long time and a writer. Right. Did you write for Ray William Johnson back in the day? Yeah, I wrote over 100 episodes of Equals 3. And, is, oh, and you hosted oh. Equals 3. And then I... I wrote uh, another show on his channel called Top Six, which I hosted. Okay. We did like 70 episodes of that. And then I was one of the writers on Boo's Lightyear, his sketch show. Okay. So, yes. What he, happened to that guy? Uh, he's still there. He's still out there. I think he was going on tour doing stand-up. I think he's trying to focus more on kind of traditional stuff a little more and stand-up and maybe some of his own videos. But he's not doing anything under like the Equals 3 umbrella. Okay, for the, our listeners that don't know, this guy was number one on YouTube for quite oh, a yeah. while. Oh, yeah, and he has like 10 million subscribers, yeah. In the BPP era, before PewDiePie. Oh, I was like, what's BPP? Yeah. <laughs> because uh, PewDiePie yeah. is like 80 million subscribers. I mean, he's like... Yeah, it's before gaming, and then gaming just beat out everybody. Right. Yeah. My experience with you as a director... The first time, I mean, aside from obviously being creatively involved in a bunch of stuff was like about a year ago, maybe when you directed the full screen show. Right. And you were so part of your job was to find a director, right, for the show. Yeah. So I I didn't start out as the director for the full screen show. I was doing a series, a branded series with full screen. And I was the showrunner. And I was a co-writer on the series. And um, we hired a director. And events happened and the director ended up quitting a day and a half before we started shooting oh yes oh, I wait see. can i just there's a learning experience from this can i rewind just a little bit uh-huh. because they so kelly had called me too to be like one of the people that they considered yeah we we i wanted to hire oren <laughs> if i had hired oren i would never have gotten to direct unless i would have quit sure. the day before the shoot maybe you would have Um, No, but what's interesting about this is it's like it's a mistake I've made a few times, which is and it's just like a learning lesson is like the first call I had. Kelly told me about the project. She sent me like a treatment that had like a visual treatment. And the first call I had was with her and the like some other producers and creative directors from full screen. And it was the story was really similar to the show that I had done when I was at Disney like a long time ago. And so I was like, guys, this story's like been done before. Let's do the Like I was trying to pitch a totally different story. A different show. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, the same show, just like a different uh, element, like a different div- plot device. And then I didn't realize, Kelly told me only after the call, that, that the show was based on a book that was written by someone that was on the call. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, 
Just the lesson is I did that one. I, I should have. I probably should have told you that as well. That's well, my bad. Well, I'm the idiot that was just like, like it's kind of call like meeting one on one is like don't don't say say so anything negative about is, the material. Is cliche. Right. Well, I also think it's like know at what point they're at with the material because this had gotten like cleared by a client and stuff right. like that. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to go back and change. So I think people like, and it's also because our team we haven't myself included had not hired a bunch of directors before. I'd mm-hmm. hired a director uh, the previous year as a showrunner on a project, but this was only the second time that I was interviewing directors and the second right. time that my team was interviewing scripted directors. So at that point, it's kind of like when you hear someone that's like just super enthusiastic, it's like, this is great. You kind of want to be like told, oh, this is great. Okay, you think it's great too? Great, yeah, we'll perfect. do this great thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just... and. For the record, the only reason I like wasn't that into it is because I'd done something really mm-hmm. similar. It was like very specific to me. But it's just something that I think is like a good learning lesson for everyone that's ever listening. If you're ever pitching, yeah. trying to get a job against a different director, just don't rip on the material. I did that with the Lifetime movie I did too. I came in and I was like, this script is like horrible <laughs> yeah. to the producers. And then it turned out one of the producers had written Probably it. Probably wrote it, yeah. But also it's like maybe... That was a good thing because if you really sure. didn't connect with the material as it was and we weren't going to change it, then it would have been miserable for you. Maybe it wasn't yeah. a project that you wanted that was best for you to do. Or maybe they're aware of the problems, right? Like maybe they know like, oh, this is a an intermediate draft and like we know we need to change things and mm-hmm. they want like someone who can bring a critical eye to make it better basically but they kind of have to set the table for that a little bit as well you and, know well, like, it was a tough call too because we were all on a conference call in different locations right so it was really awkward because we're all trying to like talk but cutting each other off and so i couldn't tell what anybody in the room was thinking because i wasn't with them so i couldn't kind of like help shape it at all mm-hmm. It was just, it was not, he was, Orrin was not set up to do well on that call. Sure. <laughs> I feel like in my defense, <laughs> like, I think you're right. That was in your defense. No, yeah. I think you're right. I didn't really connect with the material that much. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to know what you guys think, because you've now been pitching on other people's material. You, mm-hmm. I know, Matt, you've done it a bazillion times, but like, when you are pitching on like sometimes we just want a job, you know? Right. Or yeah. we're like, the budget's good or it's for Netflix or it's like yeah. got a star attached. Like, Yeah, you can be legitimately excited about something that doesn't literally have to do with the material. You could be like, oh, this is a big career step for me. That's right. not a good thing to say in the room. <laughs> you know? No. Like, this is my first TV show isn't, right. isn't like an exciting thing for them to hear. Right. This is, I mean, you know, you do you know Victory? She worked for Ostruck. Oh, um, I, I did. I just met Victor. I just went and shadowed on set. Oh, cool. At Ostruck. I shadowed Jared Seltzer, and he was awesome. Yeah, well, Victory is someone I've known forever. She worked at Disney with me, and she's like this producer. Yes, yeah, she was the producer on this project. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, so she would always say this thing. It's like so Hollywood. I almost like don't want to say it on the podcast because it's like embarrassing to say, but it's kind of true, which is she would always say like, dude, you got to like kind of fake it. Until you make it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, yeah, I remember I had no business interviewing for this feature directing job. This was even before I had directed, co-directed Guilty Party. I was like not. The full screen show. Yeah, the full screen show. Yeah. Oh, I can say, I can say the name, Guilty Party. Right, right. Um, Which used to be called something. It's You're credited for it. Yeah, I'm credited for it. Yeah. Notes on a Scandal or something. What was it called before Lost Letters. Lost Letters, yes. Uh, But yes, I co-directed Guilty Party, but before that I went and interviewed... Uh, to direct this feature 
And I went in and like I did way above and beyond. I did like a deck mm-hmm. with like how it would shoot it. And I like used all the terms that I knew about directing. And I went in like a really funky outfit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, like on with purpose? A, yes. With like a really artsy looking outfit. Because I yeah. thought that maybe kind of I could. You playing a part a little bit. And yeah. it worked to an extent. It, yeah. I got made it to the final round where the lead actress that had done a bunch of stuff she was the one that was like, oh, I love her. It makes me nervous. She's done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but literally, I feel like half of it was that I just walked in and like had no business being there. So I didn't know how much I had no business being there. Sure. Yeah. And the director that I had hired the last year, I remember like always just looked cool. And I realized it was kind of like a bit, a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I did the like look super cool, and then you can say just really normal things, and they're like, she just seems like she gets wow, it. Wow, really gets it. So I'm curious. I'm sure listeners are wondering when you say look super cool, paint us a picture, <laughs> right? Like, okay, so I had these. Um, it's they sound not cool, but that's it's in the not coolness that mm-hmm. makes them really cool if you can pull it off. It's these kind of like high waisted, baggy boyfriend jeans, these black jeans, mm-hmm. and then you roll them up at the cuff. Mm-hmm. And then I had these black boots. And then I had almost like a striped Beetlejuice shirt. Mm-hmm. And then like a weird plum hat. Right. So like a French mime. Yes. Yeah. Like but a it little, sounds cool. I can sound get you guys like a little picture. 90s, I can, a little norm core sort of. Yeah. I yeah, can get like, you a picture of this outfit. Yeah. And you can Great. put it on our you website. You can put it on your website. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> if anyone out there wants to know how you look cool <laughs> in directing interviews. Well, you know what? Like I get so frustrated when i'm pitching against european directors because their accent mm-hmm. they can say like and then uh i thought maybe hold on i need to go to the restroom and then people are like oh my god he's, he's like, amazing. So, like they say nothing so cool right guys yeah. oh my god this They're is like, incredible yeah. this is great um i feel that way about music video directors like that yeah. it's like oh those guys look real cool they've got like you know mm-hmm. sweatpants the custom converse stuff you know yeah. like they wear sweatpants out like that's cool. <laughs> Creative I would never recreation do that. sneakers. Yeah, yeah. If a director walks in in those and like they yeah, can yeah. do visual stuff. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like <laughs> as a comedy director, you look like I always say this. You look like you're in line at UCB, right? Yeah. Like you're like, ah, oh, it's like jeans and like some version of New Balance or Converse. Right. And like maybe glasses, some scruff yeah. and a hoodie and a plaid shirt basically mm-hmm. is what. Every listener of ours looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Sorry, guys. Um, We've been to the live show. I saw. <laughs> so, so Kelly, you you kind of started as like a writer performer, right? Yeah, I started. I went to NYU for acting. Great. So I I did the Tish, Tish program, Stella Adler Studio, and I was like, I'm gonna be a very serious actress. Like, I wasn't even into comedy. I was gonna. I was like yeah, doing yeah, sure. Shakespeare. I did like Angels in America. Mm-hmm. You know? Shakespeare has written some amazing comedies. Just right, that's true. Sure. That's true. Yes. Are they that funny though, you <laughs> right. guys? Um, and then I moved <laughs> out here and got into writing stand-up because I was like, you know, I realized like audition, waiting around in auditions mm-hmm. for like Entourage to say like, hey Vince, they'll see you now, and yeah, like yeah. secretary, you know. Yeah. I It was six hundred girls. Literally, I'd be in those auditions with one line in six hundred girls, and I was like, this is stupid. So I started doing stand-up, and then I kind of fell into the digital space. Mm-hmm. My first kind of, uh, you know, directing gig was I was a – it started out I was a vampire in Fred Figglehorn's 
my babysitter's a vampire music video. And Fred Figglehorn <laughs> as in like Fred. Like Fred, the YouTube. The Nickelodeon. So, yeah. so mm-hmm. uh, P, uh, that would be uh, before Ray William Johnson. Basically. Right, it was he Lucas was, he was, Cruikshank. Yeah, no, he was but the number Ray, one, Once Upon a Time. Ray, I think, was mm-hmm. they were around the same time. Ray was big then too. Sure, sure, but... Fred was, there was a period of time where Fred was the, was number, like, one, the number one the spot on YouTube. The breakout star, yeah. yeah. Um, and had this Nickelodeon It was when I was thing. his vampire. So this video <laughs> got 19 million views, like, immediately. So I... <laughs> and also, just to paint a picture, because maybe not everybody remembers internet history super well. Like, this is a, like a teenager who has, like, sped up his voice. Mm-hmm. Sped it up 30%. So he's like, hi, I'm Fred. And then would kind of like run around screaming and then do like a sketch basically where he was kind of like a, it was kind of like not Pee Wee Hermony, but like like it was for kids. Yeah, Yeah, but it was funny because it was for kids, but he got away with doing some like really dirtier, weird stuff. He pretend he was like a five-year-old, but like his dad was like cheating on his mom and left and then they left him alone and like crazy shit would happen. Um. Yeah, so I was a vampire's video. It got 19 million views, and I was like, I should do a spinoff series. Mm-hmm. And by the way, 19 million views then then is like the most 100 million views, views ever. Now. Yeah, that you were in Gangnam Style, basically. right? This was yeah. like in 2010. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I then was like, I have to do a spinoff because everyone was like, Who's the vampire? Who's the vampire? I was like, This is my moment. Mm-hmm. So I did a video about how I was the vampire in Fred's video, and I got a bad rep. With Lucas's permission or no? No, I just did it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was sure. like, he'll be cool. Yeah, like, yeah. And so, and I posted it and it was like, I'm I'm not a vampire, but everything in the video was like showing that I was a vampire. Mm-hmm. Right. So kids freaked out. like got, walk by mirrors. And yeah, like, exactly. And, reflection. Um, and I got uh, like a million views. And so I started doing more. And so then the collective, who mm-hmm. was Fred's you know, agency at the time, they called me up and this guy, George over there, he's a buddy of mine. And they were like, oh, hey, we see that you're doing your own videos, which are really funny. Do you want to come write and shoot sketches for Fred on set of his new movie, Night of the Living Fred, to use to promote his stuff? Because they call me and they're like, oh, your video is like, you know how to use Final Cut and you have cameras and lights Mm -hmm. and stuff, right? And I was like, like 23. I was like, I I shot it on a flip cam. Remember flip cams? (laughs) I shot this on a flip cam. Oh, man. I forgot about flip cams. Yeah. Their claim to fame was that they had a USB port, so you could yeah. plug it directly into your computer. Yeah. For iMovie. Yeah. Yes, and use iMovie. And so they were like, you have Final Cut and lights and a camera and know how to... And I was like, yeah, uh-huh. And so I like immediately called my dad. I was like, I need to borrow like $1,000. And I went and like <laughs> asked friends how to teach me you know, Final Cut. Sure. Went to set and was shooting sketches with him on his movie with like John Cena and Ariel Winter. It was kind of crazy and then they ended up on a special on nickelodeon which was cool that's so cool okay so you kind of you get the the bug a little bit just just like a one quick aside because i've seen this happen a few times like if you get a job doing behind the scenes which is not that hard to do in hollywood um it's got its own well, niche and s- yeah. world yeah yeah i mean doing behind are, the scenes on a huge hollywood film is different well than, it was sketches is, it was yeah. we scripted them so it was like i would script a sketch have to get it approved and then grab the actors like in between stuff yeah right. but but it's like a place where it's it's a little easier to get into and you can really i've seen a few people like launch a career off of behind the scenes films like do you know wendy mccomb yeah. She used to do all our behind the scenes stuff at Disney and her videos were so weird and bonkers. They were better than our main videos. Yeah. Like the behind the scenes videos. And it's like, 
any opportunity you get to kind of tell a funny story or be crazy yeah. or weird, right. like it, it's like because be you have so much more freedom. These yeah. are these aren't behind the scenes videos. These are literally sketches that you just have to shoot in between yes. production time. They but were, are you but are you setting them on a on a like behind the scenes of a movie? Yeah, like the one with John Cena was like John Cena's shooting a movie uh, with Brad, and he's. And so I would go up to him and he was like trying to talk. It was like him caught in a private moment trying to talk like Fred. Mm-hmm. And so it was him like trying to do that. And then Fred came up. So it, was a, it wasn't interviewing them as people at all. It was like I wasn't there. I was just mm-hmm. shooting. I was holding the camera, you know, directing all this stuff. And so, yeah, it was they were on the set of their movie, but the sketches were sketches. They weren't acknowledging the camera or anything right, like that. Right, right. Yeah. Whereas okay. like I did a similar thing. The Key and peel stuff I did was like Mike and Van Davion, these extra characters that would had reviewed the show previously, they would basically, it was as though they were PAs on set as we were shooting Key and Peele. So like one of them would be behind the camera, like Mike or Van Davion would be behind the camera and then either Key or Peele would be in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. So one would be improvising as a different character than one would be playing themselves basically. So oh, it was like cool. a, a similar sort of thing of like, Oh, it's like <clears throat> it's promoting the show or right. the movie or something like that, but uh, still separate. Right. It's like promotional sketches right. that stood along. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess the takeaway is that even a behind the scenes job, you can turn into something awesome. And right. Well, my takeaway funny. was just, say yes like go where the end if they think that you can do it you can do it mm-hmm. that's the thing like if they were tricked into thinking that i knew how to do all that stuff i was like i should probably be able to do all that stuff right then. right um which is funny because then like you know i did the writing and performing for ray and kind of got my own youtube following and social media following there and literally i was kind of wondering like what the next thing was and i remember there was a kid a PA on mm-hmm. set of the Nickelodeon stuff, uh, Carter Hansen, and he worked at Varsity Pictures. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't talked to him in five years since we did this stuff. But I remember he was always cool and we were friends on Facebook and would like like each other's stuff once in a while. And so then I was like making a list of, because my strategy, my go to this like, meditation guru, and I was like, I don't know where my <laughs> next job's coming from. This is life advice, people. So, so he was like, make a list of 15 people and that you could like, maybe you would work with or you'd want to work with or whatever. And he's like, it doesn't have to be people that you've, you know, talked to recently. Just make make a list and you don't have to just, and I was like, I don't want to contact people like being like, what's up? And he's like, just make the list. And I was like, okay. I made the list and I was like, oh, Carter. And I wrote Carter's name. I, I'll show you the emails. I hadn't talked to Carter in five years. The next morning he emailed me and was like, hey, I'm doing this thing at full screen with uh, Grace Helbig and we're looking for a showrunner. And I was like, Okay. And so that's how I got into full screen, show running a project, and then kind of, you know, got into directing through that. Okay. So you get, so let's kind of fast forward back to the, to guilty party. So your director quits the day before the shoot. <laughs> like how long from the director quitting to yeah. you deciding you're going to direct it? I had kind of talked over things and weighed options with a few people. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's like, a mystery and there were all these little parts of story, the story that we had to get out. I just felt like I knew the story. I knew what I wanted from the actors. I, since I had acted so much myself, mm-hmm. I kind of knew how to get performances out of actors. Right. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to do it. Screw it. 
It was kind of an involved project that would be very difficult to get someone up to speed on in one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. and I also feel like it was a it was a type of project that I probably I would never have gotten the okay to, to direct to direct uh-huh. starting sure. out. Sure. It's it like was a good a, budget, right? It was a good budget. Yeah. It was a like that's a seven so awesome. figure. Are you like? Are you not allowed to say it? Like um, a, a real budget, though? We can say no. Like, it was a know. real. It was a real. I mean, the thing is, budgets on these because you're paying influencers, mm-hmm. like to be kind of brand ambassadors for a whole year. It's not the budget's not reflective of what goes into production, sure. uh, because the talent for them is such like a crazy fee for all these posts and all the yeah. stuff above the line versus below the line. Yeah. Kind of so it was like I think for it was like a about a two million dollar budget, but we use probably like a million of that for production. But that's yeah, like so that's kind of a for lot real. For listeners at home are like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah so yeah. I went from directing Fred Fagelhorn videos. <laughs> With a flip cam. With a flip cam. Uh, no, I directed a live show for them before this. So they knew sure. that I could like lead people and had the skills and stuff like that. Yeah, and you're building uh, the arsenal of skills that you need to be able to take this on and nail it right, well, in different ways, basically. Yeah, well, about. and as a showrunner for two years at that point, I'd right. been a showrunner. I had worked with directors, helped directors make sure they're getting the beats, you know, make sure yeah. all the technical stuff, and then had sat in the edit bay right. for like 100 hours per project. So yeah, it's kind of yeah. like I knew exactly what I should be getting. Right. Oh, yeah. wait, before, I really want to get into you directing, but mm-hmm. before that, I think something that would be helpful or useful for our listeners is like, how did you choose that director and like what like what are things that obviously I came on the call, my very first call and said like I wanted to change the material. That's like a bad thing. What are some things that various directors why did interviewed? you like the other directors? Yeah, yeah. Why like what made you choose a certain director? Her pitch was good. Um she kind of hit a really interesting thing with all the details and she loved talking about like all these little details of the visual things. And I think it just- Can you it, give us an example? Well, a lot of it depends on timing. We had seen, we had interviewed directors that did the broad thing. And by the time we'd gone to her, we'd seen enough of the broad stuff. We had seen enough of mm-hmm. directors that just talk technical stuff. So when she came in with something like, kind of brushed over all the stuff we had heard and was like, oh, but I'm really particular about the details like, she worked water into she was like i think we should use water a lot in these scenes and we can do the we can weave water through this and the color of the school uniforms i really think we should use this palette because it just and she just had a a a cool vision and when you say that other directors came with a really broad pitch do you mean they were going for broad comedy like this is going to look like a big comedy or do you mean they had like kind of vague descriptions like oh well, no uh, they came with cool pictures like pitches like they're like oh i think this is gonna be really visual we're gonna start with an epic wide and then we can do one shot that we can do special effects on to make it look way cooler than it is but she tied her visual stuff into character development and mm-hmm. was like i really like the details of this room and I'm, i was thinking that this girl would have this and so she kind of tied visual details into story in a mm-hmm. way that worked some people you don't want to ever think about the budget when you're pitching right right you're like yeah, we're going to put a bunch of extras here and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I have a problem. I think it's a bad thing, that I'm, something I'm trying to work on. But I'll be like, well, if we can afford to do this, we do this. Mm-hmm. If we can't, we can probably pull it off without yeah. that. Like I'll be, I even just on this pitch I just did, I was like, I would love to get two different houses for this. But, you know, we can make it work in one house as well. <laughs> you know what I would say sitting in a bunch of those meetings? I would say we had always asked that if we were thinking about it. If some director was like, oh, my God, we want to do this crazy thing. And some producer was like, well, how would you... Uh, how would you modify that for a lower budget? Uh-huh, and right. so I would say don't give them that unless, I mean, at least in the rooms I was in, because they'll ask. 
Right. Yeah. But there is something where... You're aware, at least. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to pitch and then people will be like, oh, that person has great ideas, but they're talking about a different type of project than what we're making. You know? Right. When it's both, I guess if, like, if we had sent the budget, like, hey, this is around the ballpark, mm-hmm. and people came in with insane ideas, we'd be like, we don't, they obviously don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just ask, like, yeah. I don't want real numbers, but I want to know, like, what am I working with? What's, what, what should I be building in, in for this pitch, basically? Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing I realized in this process is everywhere's different. Like, I think digital's kind of the Wild West. It's not a traditional environment. So in some instances, like this director, or any director that came in might have been set up to fail a little bit in that we had been pitching this idea through to a client. And Mm -hmm. in that you have to have visuals and you have to have different things. So it's like by the time a director comes in, everyone, the creative team, the VPs, everyone involved has such a vision for this show that it's not really truly a director's vision. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sometimes it's Sometimes it's a little more TV style where it's really like, you know, the showrunner is really kind of setting that tone. And sometimes it's a little more film style where the director gets to come in and own it. Um, Right. And and you don't know if especially if it's your first job with a company, you don't know what style it's going to be. Well, yeah. Well, we block shot. We shot it like an indie feature. Sure. So it was kind of so it is confusing because it's like, oh, it it feels like an indie feature. It feels like an indie film. Like the director should be running it. But it really was more like the showrunner and the, you know, execs there. Yeah. The in-house design teams had sure. done a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and had been with the project for so long, too. Yeah, it had taken like four months to pitch it through. I um, I, We were talking before off mic about how there have been instances where I've been up for jobs where it's like, it feels like the best thing I can say in the broadest terms is like, hey, I'm dependable. I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I've done this many times before. I am the safe bet. And how uh, I'm up against, you know, people, people that are like, we're going to do this amazing yeah. thing. And, and it's this like, is, okay, yeah. well, if you've only made a short that did great at an awesome festival, but like, you don't really know how to block shoot an entire series of TV. Right. Um, I know who the practical choice is, but I also know that that's not a sexy pitch. Right. Well, when the director quit in our thing and I was like, I'm going to direct, I was also had the awareness that I've didn't necessarily have the abilities to show run and direct this thing yeah. by myself with no prior, you know, this type of budget directing experience. So I, we called up the guy that came into interview yeah, yeah. that like n- knew exactly what he's doing. Seem chill, seem cool. Oh, so your co-director was someone that was considered for the job ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And it, he was, he was friends with the line producer too. Mm-hmm. So when the director, you know, me and the line producer would kind of talk and he was like, what about, it was Ben, Ben Plummer. He approached this in the smart way because he's done mm-hmm. a bunch of TV and he right. knew he's done digital. And so yeah. he really knew what it did take. And I think our team had like a, like a kind of, I don't know, they were like, looking for some cool, sexy vibe yeah, and it wasn't want, realistic. Like, yeah, like they totally. wanted it elevated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was like, well, this is what we get. We can do. To me, it's not even the budget. You just look at the schedule. Like, hey, we have to shoot yeah, you just all this you stuff You don't want to be the voice days. of reality. It's like, all right, well, you're shooting 12 pages a day, so it's going to be basic coverage, guys. Like, yeah, that's it. Like, yeah, we're shooting a ton with influencers that yeah. don't have a ton of acting experience, so you don't know how they're going to be. But that's the thing. I think it's like you live in, like I learned a lot through that experience. I think yeah. the whole team. But the thing is, is I really pushed for this director too, so I kind of had to be like, 
go and apologize to people and be like, I'm, I messed up. Here's the plan. We're going to remember that guy who just sure. seemed like he had everything under control. We're going to get him. Sure. And he's going to make sure that this is going well and I'm going to do story. And and so what was fun. his? So then you go, go, go to this guy, Ben, and you're like, hey, we didn't choose you to direct this. And we're still not going to let you direct it by yourself, but we would like to have you come co-direct it. Uh-huh. And it shoots tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, and he was like, I just, I was booked for, and he literally had had a, ca- a project cancel two days before. Oh, wow. So that was the only reason he was available. Sure, for, he's like, know. well, I've got to make rent. And he was just a cool guy. Yeah. Like, he's just a chill, cool guy. Yeah. Like, I would co-direct with him again. Did you guys, credits-wise, did you trade episodes, or did you just co-direct? We just co-direct. How did you guys approach co-directing what does that mean for your relationship with ben well it was interesting because i had a lot of thoughts on beats in story and he had a lot of thoughts on how we're setting up the shots and when to use like okay we don't have time for it we're just doing coverage and when we have time to get a fancy shot or we need Mm -hmm. a cool transition shot or stuff like that and that was experience that i didn't necessarily have i'm sure you know i could ask people and figure it out but it was so great to just have him sort of know and Sure. And it, it, that's kind of the stuff that you learn along the way. You learn it in edit when you're like, oh, boy, I mm-hmm. wish I had this or that. Or, oh, we don't need this. Yeah. You know, and you would have gotten there eventually. Uh, yeah, right? I would have gotten there. But he saved us a lot of time by right. just knowing. And and he had the confidence to be like, no, we don't need this. And I would be like, I, I believe you. Yeah. And when in my mind, if I was just me, I would have been like, maybe yeah. we do. I don't know. Let's do them. We should get it just in case. Yeah, and like yeah. wasting time. And we right. did not have that luxury. Did you have time to go over the entire script with him, like kind of beat by beat or not figure out what really. to focus on? We didn't have time to do a shot list together, really. We just did like a quick, you know, why? I mean, like whatever, sure. like like chicken scratch on the script page. Um, we didn't have a lot of time. No, we just would powwow before each day. But for it was, I feel like we really lucked out because we worked well together in the sense that like, he, you know, kind of let me get in there with the actors a lot. But then I could sense and there were certain times when I just could feel that he felt like he really knew the way it needed to be. And I would just kind of step back and be like, OK, you take you take this scene because it was like he did. We both had an idea. But I think at certain times you have to just trust that the other person knows. And you're yeah. like, OK, like if we both try to get our idea, it's not going to work. But if I let you just do yours, it will work at least. It, that's so fascinating because it feels like this is like a, a shotgun wedding, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds like it worked out really well. Can yeah. you give us an example of maybe a time where uh, it was a little harder? When we were getting really down to the, we were under some really tight pressure stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, it was like, I would be like, I think we just need the the speed. Like I was really trying to really get a really specific moment. And I think there's times you'd be like, we're, j- we're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to get it from exact. We'll cut to right. a wide. We'll cut to something else. We're not going to get it. And I think that was... It took me a little bit of time to realize like, oh, yeah, we wouldn't have gotten. We would have wasted a lot of time. Sure. But in the moment, you're kind of pissed feeling like you missed something. Right. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is the thing that would have made the scene. And, <laughs> and he's like, you... cut your losses. Yeah. yeah. And then in the edit bay, I was like, oh, he was, he was a thousand percent right. right. But we really didn't butt heads that much, surprisingly. Hmm. Well, there is this kind of issue with co-directing. Like the advantage, obviously, is that you can split the work, right? You worry about the cameras or the art direction. And I'm going to talk to the actors. And then we're going to do this. And Hopefully you're on the same page beforehand about all those things. But where it slows things down is when you're like, well, let's do a, a take for him and let's do a take mm-hmm. for me, you know? Right. We, we couldn't do that. And I think in the beginning, I really just let him 
kind of just watched for a bit to see his style and see his stuff because it's like I was there to be like, oh, if I feel like we are not getting a specific story beat, that's a because he barely knew the story. He had gotten the script <laughs> right. the night before. Yeah, yeah. And it's like all these twists, twists and turns. And some of the story was released on social. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, really, the only time that I was like, oh, no, hey, we need this. We need to get this is when it was a a really yeah. not obvious story beat. Yeah, yeah. Like this pe- person needs to look guilty in this moment. Exactly. They yeah, glance yeah. over and yeah, I'd yeah. be like, oh no, we need a glance. And yeah, they'd be yeah. like, what glance? I was like, oh, in page 17 at the bottom, of, you know. Yeah. But you're also still the showrunner, right? Yes. So you're also like his boss in a way. Right. I was the showrunner. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I but guess I was set, his boss. Yeah. It's but he was, he was really, I think he was really good. I w- there was nothing that I was like holding back Mm-hmm, on right. wanting to tell him. We were also under enormous pressure for other reasons. Like we, they tried to flip the show, crew walked oh. off. Like it was a crazy mess. Yeah. Flip, we don't need A flip is rough. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so if you had to do it all over again, I mean, obviously maybe the, you would have more lead time for the shoot. But other than that, what are some things that you learned from that shoot that you would want to do differently or that you're doing, you're going to do differently on your next shoot? Um, a lot of it was with the writing, I think. Um, I'm writing this series now and I realized, oh gosh, don't I wrote so many scenes for the last show that are like four people standing around talking mm-hmm. or like there's six characters in a scene for no reason. And with him, I was like, oh, coverage, why would I, you realize from a director's standpoint, like, that's the worst. Why would you, why are they doing nothing? And why are six of them here? Like, right. What's happening? That's just bad writing anyways, I think. But when it's like a really shortened episode and like teen drama and you need to get everybody in certain episodes. Right. There's also, there's a difference between like writing a scene and it's mostly about two people and then literally being on set and looking at three actors who have nothing to do in a scene. Right. And it's your problem. Okay, so kind of a big lesson is the writing less characters per scene. Yeah, less characters per scene. And always ask for two cameras if they give me the option. Sure. Did you only have one camera? We had one camera and I was trying to cut. And originally we were like, no, with two cameras it's going to be... Sometimes it ends up taking more time because you're worried about two crews and you're not getting the right stuff and you're kind of splitting your resources. Um, But we ended up having to call on another one for... um, big extra scenes and just getting like inserts. And then we had a jib for stuff and need a second camera. Um, but yeah, I would just say always take a second camera. Yeah. To me, the only time that you don't get a second camera is if you can't afford it, you know, cause you're doing like a super bare bones project or if every shot, if, or if most shots include the characters looking into camera. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, just always like try to have a second camera. Yeah. Like it always just goes faster. Yeah. Sometimes early on, I'll say like, hey, when we talk about two cameras, I really mean like a camera and a half, which is another way of saying like, I'm not going to use that second camera all the time. Right. And like the thing where it bums me out the most is when you're in like cross coverage, like those cameras are always dueling to get basically both eyes on both actors that's impossible like you always end up in someone else's shot so i'll shoot stacked all the time and then a producer will be like we've got two cameras why are you shooting one side at a time um, you're like well lighting uh, yeah, instead yeah, of all that so, very good reasons trust me i'm doing yeah. it for by reasons. stacked you mean like a wide a wider over and a closer correct yeah 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 when i say stacked i mean yeah exactly like a a wide and a tight basically simultaneously and then your sound guy hates you basically is what mm-hmm. happens then Right. Because there's no place for them both. Sorry, guys. Anyway, a so, camera and a half. So basically, as long as a producer isn't going to be like 
barking at you right you can like you get to have your cake and eat it too basically right well if you're ever the showrunner and director always get two cameras there you go i wasted that i'm not showrunning this next series <laughs> oh and interesting. so and that's weird too i'm gonna have a boss on this oh fascinating so you're gonna have a boss a, a bo i'm not showrunning this new series oh so tell us about the new series how did you so obviously it's the same company that, hi that yeah. you did the last show. So mm -hmm. they, were, they were clearly happy with you. Yeah. Well, and they, I, we can say it because Guilty Party, it's AT&T Hello Lab in full screen. If anyone wanted to look it up, it's out there. Um, but yeah, so it's AT&T in full screen again. And I was developing uh, a few, I was going to develop a few shows with full screen to pitch to AT&T to be their new comedy series. Mm -hmm. And they chose one. So... Then I'm, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And mm -hmm. I wasn't sure I was, you know, going to be able to direct, but they, you know, greenlit me to direct. And So were you pitching yourself as a director or did they say, hey, do you want to direct this one again? No, I told them I was like, I want to direct. I want to do cool. this. And why do you want to direct? Well, comedy is my thing. Comedy is what, what I started and what I know, um, what I've always done. So it was it felt weird for me to be like, I'm going to direct this drama. But then when I did that and realized I really loved it, I was like, oh, but now I know comedy. Like, I feel like I have more authority in comedy sure. than in drama. It's so a I was homecoming like, a little bit. Yeah, like, I'm like, oh, I know what this should be. And I think in drama, a lot of times you need a more cinematic shot or really cool ideas. And that's where I was like, I didn't, I never studied film. I don't know all that stuff. I don't know a lot of the technical stuff. But with comedy, like, I feel like I know mm -hmm. how to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Let me ask then, and from a show running perspective... So the, they they have a different showrunner. Did you mm -hmm. want to do that as well, or you had to choose between the two? Um, yeah, I had to choose. Yeah. Um, but also I think I love directing. I'm writing as well, so it was like they're sure. like you can't direct, write, and showrun this. Let's be honest. And I was like, why not? <laughs> but yeah. no, I but did I didn't. Last and time I wanted to bring. You know, you need more people involved in the story, and I wanted to be able to focus on directing and writing it was someone i've worked with before so it's this girl megan um who i've worked with a lot even back in the equals three day with ray got it and yeah, so cool. yeah and it's funny kaja martin is a writer on this and she was with equals three with ray too oh, so we cool. kind of slowly oh that's great yeah, yeah working with people and then um i hired another writer akila green who is i met in the cbs diversity showcase so it's all mm. friends. Work and hire your friends, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the, the goal. That's the plan, right? <laughs> yeah. So it paid off to be friends with you, apparently. Well, Kaja hired me first on oh. Equals 3, and then Akila got me a part on Chelsea Handler. So it's oh, kind of like cool. we're all just helping, just keep helping each other out. Are you going to like shot list this one? Like what, what are you oh, going to do yeah. differently? I'll probably call you and be like, Orin, will you look at my shot list? Oh, cool. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I'm gonna for sure shot. I'm gonna have time to shot list this. Um, I think it's okay. We've talked about this a little bit on the show. It's okay to not shot list too. I think it's okay to not shot list if you're so confident that you know exactly what shots you need. And I feel like on my first solo thing sure. where a, a lot of money and a brand is involved, like I will definitely. It's also yeah. in my contract that I have to shot list. So interesting. Yeah. They contracted that you shot mm -hmm. list. Well, because huh. it's funny, I contracted that the previous directors <laughs> so i was like oh like, yeah nobody looks at these anyway well and because and it's when you have a low budget and or not like low but when you have a smaller budget and you have to shoot a ton and not a lot of time it just helps the ad it helps the director have everything they need on yeah. set when they need it it yeah, just yeah. helps because totally. to give the ad an idea of 
and the yeah. producers an idea of what's coming. And so we can figure out budget wise and stuff like that. For yeah. sure. I always shot list and Matt's always trying to convince people they don't have to shot list so that he doesn't have to shot list. You, well, I don't all the time. But, you know, what I will do is because, you know, you don't want to just be like, OK, well, uh, why, why medium, medium, medium did two shot in a close? That's but, the shot list that challenges you to not shoot everything wide, medium. Because if you look at it, yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're like, like, shit, oh, that's I'm doing everything the same. Uh, you know what it'll do is all basically shot list transitions and any sort of specialty shots. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's still like, hey, AD, you know, look at the page count, look at the number of characters. You have a good idea of how long it's going to take. Like, that's really what they're doing anyway. Um, and then here's the weird stuff. Right, and then everything else, it's kind of like, okay, well, you know that I'm gonna, I could copy and paste, you know, wide, medium, close, a bunch of times right, if you want. Right, right, right. Yeah, I feel like it's just a good for me. I'm just like, I'm just gonna do it. It's a good exercise, and yeah. it's like, it just helps other people have confidence that I have a plan. Sure, right. <laughs> they're like, so you do have a plan, yeah, and, and yes. people do look at because I a lot of times make my shot list like the night before the shoot, especially and if it's like a ten day shoot. It took a while. Yeah. No, no, but I'll be on set and I'll be we'll be halfway through the day, and the DP will be like, so are we gonna still do this close up shot or something? And I listen. And I'm we haven't even talked about the shot list at all. And I'm like, oh, you looked at my shot list. And you're like, like people are using it, you know, especially yeah. the AD and the DP. At yeah, the very no, least. No, they are. And uh, to be fair, I do. Who shot do you list email more. your shot list to? It's a, always a Google document and it's always a ADDP uh, producer, line producer. That's probably it. Oh, I do those people plus the production designer, wardrobe person, oh, makeup PD, artist. Yeah. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Because they, I want them to know because I'll I'll in my shot list I'll do like you know wide medium close and I will I am have been guilty of like copying and pasting it to every scene but then I'll write like you know we see this person against this background or something like mm-hmm. they pick up this prop or mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that that speaks to the idea of like oh the specialty things like right. hey you know so you know these are the colors that are going to be present in this frame or th- this is the moment where they're going to be they need to look their best or things like that they're communicating with your crew is always going to be important i guess um i'm just saying that maybe i tend to not think that a shot list is the most efficient way to do that all all the time you know what i mean that's well i think it just depends also on if you know everybody working with you is experienced and has done Mm -hmm. as much times i think it makes people that might not have as much experience just feel more comfortable even just to hold something to have to talk to somebody else about sure. so you're both on the same page so it like pointing to this and this specialty shot yeah, you know what i mean totally yeah i like to i mean part of what the shot list shows me to we've talked about this before is like oh shoot this scene doesn't have any interesting shots like i'm not telling mm-hmm. any stories sure. with the camera right i'm just covering it so i try to find at least one interesting shot per scene you know yeah and, and if I realize, if I know that it's like just to have a nice shot, I'll put it at the end and I'll put like time permitting. Right. Yeah, a well, bonus extra credit. Well, it helps too with like, I found with in knowing, oh, inserts. Oh, we need this insert or establishing. Because sometimes you just, if you're running crazy, you forget inserts and establishing sure. stuff. You're yeah. just, you know, I made that mistake. Uh, yeah. with, oh, I was just a showrunner in my first project I did. I was like, nobody... And I didn't know to look for this, but I'm sitting in the edit bay and I'm like, nobody enters or exits a scene. Nobody ever leaves and we never have any establishing shots. Yeah. We just right. started on the people all the time. That's like probably one of the, my most common notes on a script is, hey, maybe we'll see them pull up to the building between these two mm-hmm. scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of 
writers, especially like TV writers, they'll be like, they're talking in the kitchen. They're talking at work. They're talking. Right. You don't see any. And I was, you know, so guilty of that in writing some of the scripts. Directing has really made me think about how I write. Yeah, because it's writers think it's all about the dialogue, you know, and it's. Yeah, just put the first joke as they're walking into school together. Right. Well, and I've learned you can save anything with the right transition shot, the right assembly, the right insert. It's like, oh, you didn't get any line where the actor did the right thing. We're going to look at, we're going to cut to the spoon. Yeah. Right. You know, like. A little trick we've talked about before is. Transition, spoon shot, done. If you're running really behind, just like have your camera operator at the end of someone's close up, just like. Hey, Mike, can you tilt down to, you know, mm-hmm. Megan's hand or whatever? Megan, can you do that thing? And just just try to pick those things up, even if you're like the 80s, like, we got to go to lunch like 10 right. minutes ago. Yeah. You're like, fine, sound stop. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, it's so easy to forget those, like well, you said. The trick I learned is you once you just, this is maybe not good, but once <laughs> you roll, if you're like tight out for lunch, you just don't cut. Oh, you yeah, just yeah. keep. It's yeah, probably yeah. not a trick, but I thought it was quite the track there's also every once in a while an ad will be like don't cut yeah for that reason i think once you i think there is like a technical rule of like once you're rolling yeah once you're rolling you don't well no there's more there's a bigger grace it's like there's a yeah you get to go past the grace period right exactly but if once you cut you cannot roll again you're done yeah yeah right and for those of you i'm sure most of our listeners know but at least in california the law is that after six hours after you people get to set you have to feed them and if you go over that six hours you have to pay a penalty it's like a state law it's not like a film thing specifically um and so i think we're allowed to go 15 minutes into past that six hours and we call that period those 15 minutes grace yeah yeah and there's this idea that you ask the crew if they're okay with going into grace but the crew always says yes but they're what, like what are they gonna say not yeah. happy about it so it's like it's a weird thing. Yeah, it always sucks. I try to just um, not call Grace, basically. Like, I'm, I'm, I've am I'm, gotten over the idea of like, oh, I'm so close to finishing the scene. Just call cut, go to lunch, and then just pick yeah. up that shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the know? only time you do it is like when you're like just moving to a different location. You're so close. Like yeah. you're, you're have a company move after lunch. Right, right, exactly. Like the only time when you're, you're like, oh, I'm, that's when it's worth it. Yeah. I really yeah. like finishing a scene before lunch because... <laughs> I'll eat lunch real quick and then I'll go with the DP and the AD during lunch, which I know is like maybe not fair. Your but... DP and ADs must hate you. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, because we're he's abusing behind. them. Yeah. No, but I'll be like, hey, this is what I'm thinking for this next thing. But if we don't, there's nothing for us to talk about to do take seven on the last thing, you know? Sure. You can, you can still get ahead of yourself, though. You can still walk over and be like, hey, after we finish take eight, we're yeah. going to go do this. Or you rip out the drone. That's what you do now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. My line producer had a drone that we just saved us on a couple of things, a couple yeah. establishings. The drone yeah. was awesome. There you go. I, I want to do, because I have the same problem with establishing shots. I did a show where it was about cartoonists, shitty boyfriends, and we didn't do any establishing shots. And then we just had to get an animator to like draw. Mm-hmm. Basically, all of our establishments. Or you find shots. weird stock footage of like a house in California, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. hope that it's like the same, like, the high right. quality Good resolution. Yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah. Well, establishing shots—they're surprisingly hard to do well. I mean, yeah. that's why 
the diner in Seinfeld, you know, it's like a very specific building that has nothing to do with where they shot the diner, you know? Right. Or I've, it's like you want to have a movement. It's like right. you can't just set up a... You can, but I mean, it's nicer if you have yeah, some movement or a tilt. Yeah, in front or a, of this house. Yeah. Yeah. And like, ideally, your characters are maybe interfacing with it in some way. Like they're walking in or they're leaving or like at least there's common extras or th- something. Right. You know? That's what we did with the school. It was great because we did a mm-hmm. lot of establishment with just random students. Yeah, we yeah. We just had people do crosses. And there's a bell ringing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and I ship it. The show, you know, we've had the directors in and the producers on. They called me and they're like, hey, can we get it? Just shoot a shot of your house. We want to use it as an establishing shot. We just need someone to give us permission. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then they ended up not using it because they didn't like the kind of car we had parked in the parking lot. They're like, it didn't really feel right for the character. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, in the driveway. So your car is very nice. I mean, it uh, it's pretty dirty. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice right. it's a n- nice house though yeah it is very good oh, thanks what, what's nice about shooting outside of LA is you get these like really amazing looking houses that look like any town America which LA doesn't have that many houses that look like that yeah there's like a few select spots and once you see them once you know them you yeah. see them on TV shows constantly like West mm-hmm. Adams and like uh, there's south of Larchmont there's yeah. this whole neighborhood it's a, we a shot beautiful house yeah, yeah. like Hancock Park where it's like whoa this looks like a house like yeah. if I think of a picture of a house yeah, yeah. Um, um, we found a great house we were like had under pressure switching location and it was hard to find when we found a house and I was like, yes, but it was late at night and we weren't really paying super close attention. And we went to shoot there two nights later and realized it was across the street from a public playground and we were shooting outside, like on the front porch. Oh no. So it was like the perfect house. We walk out and then it's summer. So kids are out till 9 p.m. on the playground. <laughs> we had to hire an ice cream truck to come Ooh, and like around move, the corner yeah. and get everybody away. Yeah. yeah. So you lured kids with an ice cream <laughs> Well, their parents were there. It wasn't yeah, like sure. just kids by themselves. And just like, that's actually a really good move, I feel like. Because you hear about stories of like, oh, you always, a producer will have like some money to bribe like a leaf a blower or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, children have always been tricky. Ice cream. The go. cheapest snow cone trucks you can oh, get for yeah. like 200 bucks. Wow. Unlimited snow cones. Oh, man. It helps a lot. I'm jealous yeah. of those kids now. Or even crew members that are like tired mm-hmm. or, you know, it's been a long, hot day. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, 200 bucks for uh, like a, a fancy treat, you know, a custom treat. That's yeah. pretty great. We should wrap up pretty soon. But I think uh, we have one listener question and I feel like Kelly might have some insight. We got an email from listener Jonathan Vatt. He says, hey, guys, love the show. It's up my game and my approach to filmmaking like 500 percent. Uh, question. I'm a DP slash director and I've done most of my work in the wedding industry. I have a handful of decent corporate projects completed and I'm trying to build my personal brand with a focus on commercial production. I freelance with a local company, but I would like to start separating myself as a director under my own brand. The real question is, how do I build a brand around myself? Naming my brand after myself like Jonathan Productions feels small time. I noticed that Oren uses Directed by Oren as his website slash portfolio. Does that work for everyone, in your opinion? What were the steps you took to build your own brands as directors? Jonathan. Wow. So, and I think, Kelly, you're interesting because you kind of had a brand before you were director. And then I also think there's really two very different type of directors. There's the company slash director directors. Sure. Like, come work with my, hire my company uh-huh. and I will direct your thing. And then there's like a director for hire, which is a little bit more 
gun for hire. We're doing. Well, when he was first talking about branding, I would say it's not about the name of your company or like directed by Orin. It's about like the hyphenate you use. Like if you're a director, DP, Mm -hmm. and then do one more weird, very specific thing. Like I did this and this got me a lot of (laughs) (laughs) interviews. I did because I do a lot of digital series and I did show running and directing and then you where you create different you know, worlds and platforms and mm-hmm. have the story go off in different directions. Transmedia. Yeah. Right, so sure. I said, and you can all laugh and make fun of me. This Ooh, I said, um, uh, showrunner, director, digital universe architect. Oh, And okay. people go, Inception. ooh, yeah, sure. tell us about sure, that. Sure. And then they're like, but this girl could really build out the show and other, and she's aware. And so, it, like, mm-hmm. you've got to get real specific. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought you were going to say world building. Yeah, uh, but exactly. same, same thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But architect. Architect. Like, I'm a, no, I'm, like a, I'm a director, showrunner, architect. Wait, Matt, on your website, I swear. Oh, yes, it does say writer, director, third thing. Yeah. That's what, oh, that's there you go. Matt's Seeing that because Matt does comedy. So that yeah, makes yeah. sense. So we're right. Yeah, sure, in the there same, we go. Yeah. Clearly, it's good advice. Yeah, but I can't yeah. actually. One someone in my company coined the for the phrase like architect, who, and I just um, kind of took it. Who at your company? Maud Standish. She's oh. really brilliant. Because I, I feel like I've heard some people will bandy around with the word architect. Yeah, right? she yeah. was gonna have story architect. She's a really yeah. like a. She started out as a social strategist, and now she's VP, uh, and she's gotcha. she's just really smart. And so I kind of like, like borrowed that for my to, resume. Yeah. Well, I think. So I, but I think back to like even backing up a little bit, you have to decide whether you're going to be like a production company or a director. And I think mm-hmm. all three of us at this point are selling ourselves as directors. You're selling yourself as Kelly Landry and as Matt Enlone. I'm yeah. Oren. Uh, I don't need a last name because there's only seven of us in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I used to have a company, Orin Film or whatever, you know, where it's like you can hire me to do like the soup to nuts thing. But I think that's like the first decision Jonathan needs to decide, right? Does he mm-hmm. want to be a director for hire, trying to get book directing gigs, or does he want to be a production company? For because he does weddings, he does like video videography and like DP and directing for wedding videos, and well, now he wants to move into corporate. Yeah, I think he wants to do more commercials. He's oh. he's it's you know the wedding videographers tend to kind of be like one man bands yeah, a little right. bit or two person bands, right? They'll have a couple of shooters. Uh, they'll probably record sound really, themselves. It's one person and then an assistant, pretty typically. With right. Video, right. And then they'll edit the video as well. Yeah. And, well, what, I would ask what type of commercial, because if you're going big budget commercial, they don't need a one man band. They want sure. a director. Exactly. But if you're going to do smaller local stuff, then maybe they do need it. So I would right. kind of figure out what your market is. Right. Um, but he also says that right now he's working as a director, uh, like for this local company, one of his friend's companies. So like what I would say is maybe don't worry about starting your own company, but just find like more local companies that will hire you as a director. If the goal is directing, if there's some, if you enjoy the writing, producing, editing, running the whole show, uh, then you're a producer that kind of directs their own things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then don't go with the directed by Jonathan yeah. or uh, do I look? I direct those? that. <laughs> I, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think also in terms of like just the word brand in general like I think that there's a difference between um, literally like logos and trademarks and websites and all that stuff 
that a, a company needs a little bit more, right? But but just you as a director, a person, like what do you make? What are the things you like to make? There, there's the question of like how you're presenting yourself, right? right? Like that's when well, oftentimes when we say brand, we kind of use them interchangeably. So it's not like directed by Oren. It's like there's a logo at the end of every one of your spots, but you do pick Oren what spots you put on the front page of your website. You or know? you're real. Or you're real. Don't yeah. include material on a reel just because you think it looks cool if it's not in line with what you want to be doing next. Exactly. Exactly. So right. if you're... Unless it's VFX, then include <laughs> Yeah. We've had a giant ongoing debate about this. Because <laughs> then it means people give you money? Like... Well, or never mind. <laughs> or you know how to shoot VMX. Yeah, yeah. Wait, are you KellyLandryLive.com? Uh, yeah, there's actually no directing on there right now. Oh, interesting. But I do have a directing reel. Um, I actually, you know, I just got the blurb and the reel I applied to the NBC Female Forward directing program. Oh, I've been cool. trying to get into some of these yeah, yeah. programs. Um, but yeah, I just have a, you know, small stuff in my head. Where is your reel? It's on Vimeo. It's a private link. Because oh, okay. also I, um, because I co-directed with Ben, there's mm -hmm. some of that stuff on there, but I don't ever want to pass that off as like just by you myself. Yeah, Can I just yeah. tell you, I, I, that's something I used to be really worried about and I don't think you need to worry about it. Like yeah. I would not, if, cause I did stuff with Blake. I've co-directed with Ken. I've worked with other people a lot and I, I would never care if they said, Hey, I directed this thing. Right. You know, like, no, I'm not worried that he would care, but also like my directing really, I don't, I'm for sure going to redo my real as soon as I get this comedy under mm -hmm. there, but I'm not looking to go in and try to direct teen drama. It's just mm -hmm. not what I want. So I'm going to use it to get into programs that I want to do, but I don't want to put it out into the world as like, this is what I direct. Right, right. right. Okay, that makes sense. Let me ask, when you were looking at directors, did you look at their reels or did you just look at yeah. samples? I looked what? at their reels. Oh, and this was a good piece of advice. Never, I would never like tell a director to say like bad things about what they've done or like downplay or anything that they've done, but like, if there is something that you included on your reel for a specific reason, mm -hmm. I would say that because a lot of times there was a few things I was like, do they think this is like, looks really great? And they'd mm -hmm. be like, oh, this is an example of like, I really got a great, whatever, right. this, explain that. This person's an influencer and yeah. like, I really am I, proud of this moment. I wanted something. to include them. Yeah. I wanted to, this was an example of how I got it. Yeah, an influencer to be a great actor moment. Um, because the other thing is, a lot of people don't have great imaginations in the production and the executive side. And so it'd be really hard, even if I knew someone was doing great stuff now, if they had stuff on their reel that wasn't like the project we were trying to do or wasn't impressive, You once someone sees that, you can't make them mm -hmm. unsee it. Yeah. They'll be like, I don't know, but that thing they did wasn't that great. And it, they must have thought it was great because it's on the reel. Right, so right. so just like, well, don't just put it on the reel. Thing. If yeah. you only have one thing, that's awesome. Just do that one thing and don't do the other thing that's like kind of okay. Yeah. That goes for actors too. Like I've seen acting reels where it's like four great scenes in one kind of mediocre scene. And I, I'm like, no, we can't hire this person yeah. because look at this one scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's way better. Even if I used to get, when I was just acting, if I didn't have a great reel, I, I, that's why I got into stand up because people be like, no, no, she's a stand up comedian. <laughs> right. And I didn't even need a reel. So it's yeah, like you yeah. don't, a reel is important but it's not as important right. as you if you're like really good at selling yourself and you have one really good thing right. it can probably work because people are looking for reasons to not hire you right they're looking but yeah and 
it's easier. Yeah, it's much easier. You always have to be sold up. Whoever you're meeting with is going to have to sell you up to someone. Right. And that person wasn't in the room to meet you, so they didn't hear all the cool things. Mm -hmm. And they're probably not really listening when the people that are pitching you are saying all the things. So they really just have the real. Yeah. Right. So I just want to go back to one thing you said, which, uh, which I think is goes back to like finish answering Jonathan's question is that your reel is a private link on Vimeo because right now you're not pitching yourself to the public and you don't care about your brand. There's no Kelly Landry logo or Matt Enloe mm-hmm. logo right. or, you know, t-shirt store. Right. Sure. Right. Because we don't care about our brands as much as our body of work and how we're going to get the next job. Cause our goals, our goal isn't to be famous directors really. It's, directors that get another job right right i'm i want i'm gonna be a famous director just so you know sure. you guys Great. know just Great. saying it now I'm, i am down i can't wait but like the like i guess or in your point is like you know you could be joss whedon right where like he's got millions of twitter followers and all that stuff and he's a wit and you know he could do tv appearances or whatever or you could be you know um but Joss Whedon doesn't have like a logo or a brand or I mean, sure, I'm but sure he does he have a like a, a website and stuff like that. I'm saying you can be like a household name or you can be you could be a person who my parents don't know. Right. Right. That's still making huge movies that everybody loves. I'm OK either way. Or that's making really cool stuff that your parents won't watch, which is yeah, probably sure. where we all want to be. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Perhaps our fated to always be <laughs> right yeah 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 but right. i mean but also it's like if you are yeah and right now where my reel's at i don't think that anyone in the public that was just looking for a general director would be yeah. like oh this girl this yeah. is the one out of all the other reels so i have to i'm pitching myself for specific projects right that i have information about and i'll tailor to that project right but until i and until i have enough work to be like this is me as a comedy director mm-hmm. Then I'll, I won't make the real public. Right. Right. I think in conclusion, a director doesn't really need a brand. They need, it's nice to have a voice in a genre they work in and, and that's visible in their body of work. But a production company could use a brand. And, it, and I think, Jonathan, you just have to decide which one of those two things you want to be. I w- Sorry. Just to be clear, though, there is a way in which a director presents themselves. Right. With like right. a website is good. Right. right. To have a, I think a director's, when we were looking up directors, if they didn't have a website or an IMDb page, it was, it, the right. website didn't have to have a public, we didn't have to have a bunch of stuff, but we had to know that like they had a place to send people. Right. But if, if, but would you prefer that website be the director's name or be like, you no, know, no, but we're Michelangelo's production company. Right. But right. W- what I'm saying, though, is that your personal brand, the way that you present yourself and the things that you decide to show the world is different than um, a production company's brand. However, they do still both tell a story about what you do and who you are, basically, is what I'm saying. Right. But, so, but I mean, I guess this question comes out of like, what should I name myself? Right. No, mm-hmm. don't, you don't need to name yourself yeah. JonathanVat.com. Yeah. Right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for writing us. If you want a sticker, buddy, reply to that email and we'll send you a sticker for all this. Reply to, what or, email? we'll, I'll, I'll email you if you want a sticker. We'll, we'll mail you one, is what I'm saying. Okay. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you ask us a question, we'll send you a sticker. Yeah. A just shoot it sticker, which is the, thing like if you're wearing that on your shirt when you walk into a director interview that's like a sign it's that's so a must dorky. hire it's that's cool. a must hire yeah definitely you can what put it on this? your phone case really 
I just bought a bunch of stickers. We've been recording with uh, Kelly for way too long. So let's move into our <laughs> unpaid endorsements. Well, I have three. Shall I start? Oren, take it away. Okay, three quick unpaid endorsements. Number one, did you know that you could say, hey, Siri, call Matt Enlow on speakerphone? Oh, no. And it works. No, I didn't know that. I mean, does anyone not use speakerphone nowadays? Yeah, I feel that's like all people I are just want. walking around holding their phone in front of their face. Yeah. No one like holds it up to their ear because it gets sweaty. But you can always tell once in a while when someone's like just being lazy with it and you're like, I can't. Can you please you hold just it like closer? A closer. Yeah, yeah. It's like people have forgotten how to hold phones in the last five well, years. To be fair, they're not really designed to be actual phones anymore. Like there, there was a reason they kind of like. They're flattened around. Out. Yeah, it's like yeah. flat and gross and slippery. Yeah. Anyway, they need to make it more banana shaped. Second endorsement is I just did this treatment uh, where I wanted to pretend like part part of my pitch in the treatment was that I was a fan of this brand my entire life, and I wanted to show them a picture of my Twitter page and my Facebook page to prove to them that like my that that I was a huge fan of theirs. So like on my Twitter page i put a tweet from 11 years ago that said like hey i'd really love to work with this company and then on my facebook page i put uh voted most likely to get married at w- one of the branches of this company um and so instead of actually changing my facebook and my twitter pages to say that so that i would have that image and instead of like having to photoshop it and match the fonts what i did is in google chrome you can like right click on any text or any graphic or anything on any website and hit like inspect element and it'll show you the text and you can edit it. So you can make like a fake Twitter page or a fake Facebook page uh, that says exactly what you want to do. Right. So I could oh. go to Kelly's page and say like, she's dating so-and-so or whatever, yeah. just by right-clicking and inspecting the elements. And then um, what I like doing is like doing that and then taking a photograph of my monitor, like from a cool angle. So there's like shallow depth of field and stuff wow. uh, to prove that it's real. So that's my second trick which I'm really excited about. That's uh, crazy. My third endorsement, which is um, the guys from Making Movies is Hard invited Matt and me to this uh, indie filmmaker community on Facebook. And I was really resistant at first because I'm like a member of way too many things that I'm not very active in. But I don't know. It's been kind of fun. So check out indie filmmaker community. Filmmaker is one word, I guess. I guess Yeah, we yeah. all knew that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's on Facebook and... Uh, I we have our a lot of our own social channels, but since Matt and I, uh, yeah, are the more the merrier. Have not really been on top of everything, and this is a place where I don't have to do any work, but I just like comment on things sometimes. It's kind of it's kind of fun. It's fun to go places where you don't have to do any work. I don't know if you guys know, but right now Mercury's in retrograde, mm-hmm. and you're not Duh. supposed to buy any big equipment nothing with mechanical parts no electrical equipment do not make any big purchases right now oh. cameras for how cars long? we can check but i think it's it's for like a good two and a half weeks at least oh okay uh susan miller is the best susan miller astrology astrologyzone.com will tell you when mercury's in retrograde and when you should not be buying anything for your camera mm. or for a shoot Wait, you also what? shouldn't sign contracts you can sign a contract that was like started before, but any new contract in Mercury and Retrograde do not sign. That sounds like a weird version of like Orthodox Judaism. <laughs> it's like the Shabbat. 
like I don't roll on this. Yeah. The good news is all my contracts are taking about 45 years. So okay. Well, you're fine. <laughs> you're also Mercury in retrograde at the time when you're supposed to go like revisit old projects. So if you guys have a project that you've been like kind of letting mm-hmm. go or thinking about for a while, now is a great time to revisit that project. That's cool. great too. May I ask a noob question? Uh-huh. What happens if I do buy a big piece of equipment? Um, Usually you have mechanical errors, problems with it forever. I actually didn't realize it at the time, but I bought a car in Mercury and Retrograde, a Volvo, um, who's supposed to last forever. uh, And I bought it used. Uh, The transmission died at 80,000 miles, which is unheard of for a Volvo. And there's also problems in communication. It's just Mm. a bad time to really do anything. You should just stay home and listen to all, all the old podcasts that war- uh, Orin and I keep calling you Warren. I have work with an, a Warren, that's why. You should just stay in, in and listen to all of Orin and Matt's podcasts. There you go. Yeah, just uh, binge listen to all of Just Shoot It and you're good to go. Um, well, great. Uh, we'll, I can't wait for uh, Mercury, Mercury to no longer be in retrograde. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find is it that when date for What's you. it called What when it's no longer? Is it just grading? I don't know what <laughs> retrograde means, actually. I think it's moving back. No. Oh yeah, like, I think. like a color yeah. correction plugin. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Magic Bullet retrograde. Yeah. It's look. Time Magazine just did a thing on Mercury's entering retrograde again. This is why so many people care. Oh, is it not? Ha- it doesn't happen like every month. It's not quite every month. <laughs> retrograde motion is when a planet appears when observed from Earth to reverse direction. This happens due to an optical illusion. But because Mercury is the planet said to rule communication, those who are astrologically inclined expect frequent misunderstandings, scheduling problems, and disagreements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No wonder it's been I've been fighting with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, okay. Great. Also, can I do one more? Yeah, of course. Talking Rain. It's the uh, cheap man's Lacroix. Oh, I don't think I know this. Yeah. It's really good. Is, is it like store brand? Oh, no, um, talking rain. Talking rain. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a drink. It's like a seltzer water. It's like a re- cheaper version of Lacroix. Is it cheaper than Albertson's brand Refresh? Maybe, probably not. Because that is my shit. But okay. I drink about a half a case of it a day. There you go. Barely an exaggeration. Well, my uh, my endorsement is. I've talked a lot about like playlists and writing to different play- playlists on this show before, but um, I don't know that I've said. Like creating a custom playlist for whatever project you're writing on is really nice because it kind of like helps you get back into the emotional state of whatever you were working on. It kind of just helps you dig those grooves a little bit. And especially Mm -hmm. when you're early on and you kind of need to figure things out, it helps you kind of um, be like both procrastinating in a fun way and also kind of like um, maybe tinkering in a subconscious way. But then... Uh, after you're done with that project, revisiting the playlist like months or years later is a real delight. And it takes you back to that moment just like when you were first writing it. And so uh, I stumbled upon that earlier today with an old project that I really love that maybe I should revisit uh, since uh, Mercury is in retrograde. There you go. Look at that. It's like a little audio diary. Yeah, exactly. Full circle. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I prefer using scents. So like I'll be like this... This project is yeah. like a Pantene Pro V, and I'll just like yeah, yeah. smell it while I'm writing. Yeah. I just orange picture orange jar. scratch and sniff book <laughs> of like January fifth, two thousand sixteen, and it's just like a blob of some yeah. weird. Smell. I think there's this Windex. totally fake theory that like smells 
or like tap into your memory sense oh, no, I think stronger that is true, than anything though. else. I think that's true. It's just that it's rare to be like, to have such a specific smell, you know, like I think we just kind of smell the same stuff over and over right. again. I think right. if you've like dated someone for a very long time and they use a certain hair product yeah. or yeah. something and then you smell it again, maybe it You know what you, you could do? You could choose a candle that represents mm, there you your go. project. Hey, right. I love that idea. A scented Oh, are you project. still working on that aloe script? Yeah. yeah. Now I move on to fur and balsa, yeah. balsa yeah. wood. Yeah, there you go. Well, if we want to find out more about your work, Kelly, where mm-hmm. should we go? Um, you can go to my Instagram, Kelly. It's at Kelly Landry Live. Uh, my Twitter's ke- at Kelly Landry YouTube. And it's K-E-L-L-Y-L-A-N-D-R-Y. Yeah. Cool. You can find out more about the podcast at our website, just shootitpod.com. You can email us questions, comments, thoughts uh, to just shootitpod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter uh, as at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlo. Uh, the music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And I think that's all she wrote. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.